Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the podcast. We have the legendary Diego Gutierrez. He's in charge of the Bitcoin Foundation in Argentina, and he's coordinating all of the communities throughout Latin America. Welcome to the podcast, Diego. Thank you, Trace. Thank you for having me here. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you got into Bitcoin? Like, why do you find it so interesting, and why do you want to spend all this time and effort and energy building the communities? Well, I, I come from the web, from the early days of the web, and I was always looking for technology that would change society in, in deep ways. I found that in the web, and now that's completely realized. And for many years, I was looking for something that I would uh, vibrate in the same way I did back in the mid-90s, early 90s. And in 2011, I got my first contact with Bitcoin, but the truth is I didn't get it. I mean, it was through a hacker friend of mine. We were playing around. Um, and then one year la later, when Casares, who is a friend of mine from my early days on the Internet, called me and told me, Dieguito, that's how they call me. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have to look at this because this is amazing. It's going to, to change the world in many ways. You know, we did a small transactions. He sent me 5,000 bitcoins. Of course, he asked them back right away. <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw the fluidity, you know, of moving money through the Bitcoin network, I said, there's something to this. And then I went to read the Eric Boris, a libertarian view on Bitcoin. And then I really understood, like, the full, you know, The full potential. scope and ramification of this new information technology. Absolutely. And after that, I was like 15 days reading nonstop about everything, not only Bitcoin, but macroeconomics, because I, I don't have a, f a financial or economics background, so I have to teach myself about it. Uh, well, if you want to learn the truth about money, you have to learn it on your own. Like, nobody's going to teach you about this. People don't even know who invented the gold standard. That's just basic, <laughs> basic monetary science fact. And... Nobody knows who did that. Well, I mean, it's I, absurd. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the first things I did is read the history of money. So read, you know, how money evolved from the early beginnings, when paper money appeared, and the full history of money. And then you have the social impact, the social implications of Bitcoin, and then you have the technology side, which is for me much easier. You know, with very disruptive technology, there's no way you can really understand it unless you start doing things. So right after that, 15 days, no sleep, reading about everything, <laughs> uh, I started trading Bitcoins on local Bitcoins with guys because I wanted to know who was involved in Buenos Aires. So I went to cafes and, and meet the Bitcoiners from back then. Um, and it was very interesting because I had this guy that was 
going to retire. I only had 25K for retirement. So he was buying Bitcoin and gold <laughs> to improve his chances of retirement. Because sure, sure done better than Argentine pesos. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I, I started meeting people. Then I started, you know, mining a little like we all did. Then trading a little. Then we said, okay, Wences did the same, the first meetup in Buenos Aires. And I, I told Wences, hand me over the meetup. I will start moving this on a regular basis. Then I met Rodolfo and Franco. You know, my, Rodolfo's my great. Yeah. He has such a, an energetic personality and he's always moving forward. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We were handling, I mean, trusting each other with a lot of Bitcoins, uh, wherever for, from the get go. That was amazing. I mean, we developed a trust relationship right from the get go. Uh, so we started doing the meetups. The meetups started with maybe 25 people, then a hundred suddenly because we had a lot of coverage from, from the press. Then we started creating the foundation. Then the first Latin American Bitcoin conference. Then the Bitcoin Center in Buenos Aires, that is a building devoted to Bitcoin companies and the community in full. Yeah, isn't it great? We've got a building just for Bitcoin in Buenos Aires. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think BitPay's got an office in there. And how many people are actually working out of that office full time on Bitcoin? Not just BitPay, but other companies too. I think we have around 30 people. 30 working. people there? Yeah working uh, on Bitcoin projects in Buenos Aires. So oh, that's so amazing. much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's very exciting. It's like, you know, all this we have done in two years. And well, we are talking now after the second Latin American Bitcoin conference in Rio and the things keep growing, uh, you know, in parallel to the Argentinian community uh, development, I, I started to contact and to set up meetups in all Latin America. Some of them I, I went there by myself. I went to Chile, to Montevideo, started the first meetups, uh, kind of uh, spreading the word, you know, uh, bringing the torch. I, I know, I, I brought <laughs> part of the torch down to Argentina. I, I think I came down to South America like uh, six or seven times, uh, uh, three or four times in 2011 and 2012, so. Yeah, I really like South America, to be honest. Like, a lot of people up in North America have never been here. They think it's the jungle. <laughs> like, Uruguay, that's the jungle, right? <laughs> they don't understand yeah. that, like, actual standard of living down here in a lot of places is higher than the U.S. Like, got nicer cars, nicer food, <laughs> nicer yeah. things to do, better weather. <laughs> and And also, I think the... People is very warm here. I mean, yes. you, you you might notice that like uh, the relationships. I mean, you develop friendships very very fast, and, and people is very open. So, I think the mixture of things is very nice. Of course, we have very bad governments <laughs> over the years. So <laughs> well, they cover uh, the earth like a skin disease, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You're just causing problems everywhere. Everywhere, and and also. There are some problems with the mentality. I think the entrepreneur mentality needs to be developed uh, much more in, in, in Latin, Latin America. America. I think so. Why do you think that is? Is it just not in the culture? Is the society very regimented, kind of like Europe? Because uh, it, it seems like Chile is trying to really encourage entrepreneurship well, and tech startups, particularly in Santiago. They are doing a, a big effort in that direction, and, and they are having very good results. But that was like a um, 
that was an intentional effort. It, it was not in there. I mean, they, they were indeed bringing uh, tech entrepreneurs from all over the world to start creating an entrepreneurial uh, you know, hub and center and, and mindsets and, and culture uh, on the Chilean young young entrepreneurs. So, so I think that's the way to go in that sense. And and, I, and I'm looking forward to see the same thing replicating in other countries, which I saw already in Mexico when I was on the DF lately. Uh, uh, Medellin and Colombia, uh, in Colombia as well. In Argentina, we have very good talent uh, maybe the economic environment or the regulatory environment is not good for entrepreneurs it's uh, it, it chokes them it's very difficult to open a, com a company to set up a company to open a bank account so it so, chokes the the entrepreneurs that are operating legally who uh, want to be compliant uh, with the relevant exactly, law but exactly. it just creates more profitability for the more creative entrepreneurs <laughs> <laughs> well and and i think what it creates is a very good training i mean you drop an argentinian entrepreneur anywhere else in the world and and they will thrive I mean, it's like you know they, they are so trained to to look to, for ways to overcome and make things work yes yeah. so that's that's why if you look at the the main internet uh, companies the ones that have succeed regionally They all come from Argentinian entrepreneurs. Really? You have Globand, you have Mercado Libre, uh, and I'm not talking about Bitcoin, I'm talking yeah. about the, the internet, uh, the web, uh, companies. Um, and that's, that's why, I mean, uh, we have talent and we have a very good training, like <laughs> Green Beret training for entrepreneurs <laughs> in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, and the U.S. U.S. kids think they think they have it tough, right? <laughs> If you can make it work in Argentina, you can make it work anywhere. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Are we seeing that happen? Uh, Venezuela, just a massive, massive uh, societal disaster out there. Um, are they just leaving? Are the entrepreneurs just leaving Venezuela? Has it just gotten so tough that they're like, you know what, I'm done? Yes. Like, I'm done with this. I think at a certain point, uh, all of them give up. Give up Atlas on, shrugs? On the dreams of, yeah, on the dreams of, uh, you know, making their startups work in their country. I mean, they, they don't give up on their dreams, but they move some somewhere else uh, to keep doing what they do. And in Argentina, sometimes I, I have very good friends that are entrepreneurs, that are, and some of them are more mature i mean they have already set up many companies so they, now they are also investors and they keep betting on the country because they have their heart there but at a certain point they are very discouraged i mean it's like they say why i'm doing this <laughs> <laughs> why do i keep banging my yeah. head against the argentinian wall yeah. like, this is not Absolutely. not a very bright idea <laughs> well i mean we're we're seeing it with with europe Uh, France had 700,000 people immigrate away. Uh, Spain, they're fleeing. Italy, they're mm -hmm. fleeing. Uh, Venezuela. Uh, are a lot of them coming to South America? Are they coming to Argentina, Brazil, Chile? Uh, I've seen, I, I, I can tell that we really have like a massive immigration, but I found some people from the Netherlands, some people from France. Uh, I don't know where they are going. I, I think Santiago de Chile is being a, a big target. I, I've seen Santiago used to be 
like a very provincial city, like you know, no no cosmopolitan uh, element oh, to it. And now it's and six, now it's yeah. yeah, six million people. It, I mean, just any type of food you want. That massive new wow. skyscraper they so built. So you notice that as well. I mean, it's like now you see Santiago, and it's really becoming a very a true cosmopolitan city. Uh-huh. And I think you know people from all over the world is coming and, and bringing that. So. Yeah, I, and Chile's got this shortage of labor. Uh, you have yes. like 14 million people. It's the size of California. They they just don't have enough people to get stuff done. So, they, I mean, they need to import labor, particularly highly skilled labor. Yes, uh, I, I was going to say that. I think what is lacking is mostly qualified labor there. So yeah, and, and, oh, man, Chile is just such a beautiful, nice country and extremely safe. I feel very safe in Chile. Um more safe than I do in most of the U.S., to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I feel safer in Chile than I do in uh, Los Angeles or New York City or uh, Chicago, Washington, D.C. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is with, with huge cities, I mean, uh, with cosmopolis, like in Buenos Aires is, is the same. I mean, the level of insecurity goes up. When you have yeah, anytime you've got a big city, but yeah. like Santiago is a big city. I just yes. feel very safe there. But once you get outside of Santiago and go to you know go down towards Puerto Natales or Concepcion or the Patagonia area, mm-hmm. Viña del Mar, like I just I feel very safe outside Rancagua, like some of these other out, outer uh, outer cities. Like yeah. it's just so pe- very peaceful, gorgeous, almost like California flipped upside down. Just. You got the inland valley and the Andes and the oh the countryside uh, is amazing and people in the countryside is, is very gentle very kind I mean and and the same thing happens in in Argentina if you oh go yeah to the you, countryside you, you get out to Salta la Linda yeah Salta la Linda <laughs> well that's one of my favorites it's a, it's an amazing uh, place Salta Jujuy. Very yeah. nice places to be a lot of people just don't understand that there there is a lot of opportunity uh, in the world mm-hmm. and you know, Bitcoin is on the forefront of the technological innovation, the technological advances that we're making. In the U.S., I don't know that it's really the environment that young, bright entrepreneurs really want to be in. I mean, should they come down to South America? Should they go to Chile? I think they should at least experience a short stay, maybe a six months stay, uh, in any of the main cities of Latin America. Maybe Buenos Aires, Chile, Sao Paulo, because I think that will give them a perspective. true perspective of of what is being an entrepreneur in, an, in a different environment. And you know, uh, innovation comes from uh, challenges. I mean, you need to be challenged to innovate and to find uh, works around for things and solutions. So yeah, but sometimes it just gets so bad. Like Venezuela, that there, well, there's just literally no future. Yeah. And you look at the United States, massive pensions overhanging all the municipalities. You got 18 trillion dollars of federal debt. You got regulation strangling uh, the entrepreneurs. I mean, it's a big market. But when you look over the next 10, 20, 30 years, like, I mean, where should these young people be building a life? Where should they be taking the grandkids? Mm-hmm. South America might very well be a place for them to go. Well, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I think, uh, as I mentioned on the conference, I think Latin America is the next big big thing. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a combination of resources. 
and then and also a fresh mindset where things can thrive and a, a new culture can appear and, and be born. And I think if we manage to use all these new technologies, these new disruptive technologies that are appearing, we can really build the Latin American continent as a new entity, which is not right now. I mean, now Latin America is a patchwork, not a block. And it's always kind of been a patchwork merely because of the map. You got the Andes that split it in half. You got the Amazon that splits it in quarters. Mm -hmm. And you got Brazil, the massive powerhouse. Then you got Argentina, which is the other big player. Mm -hmm. And other than that, it's you know it's very kind of balkanized. It's yes, I I agree. But I think technology can bring it all together. Bring it all together. I think you know we we now have the the means to connect them all and to build like a so we're we're regional over, economy we're overcoming these previous geographical hindrances uh, with the technology yes. is what you're saying to unify the the overall markets yes to connect them I wouldn't say unify I think the differences will be kept but if right. we connect them and make them work together. You have, uh, you know, all the resources you need are in Latin America. You have oil, you have water, you have food, you know, food cows. cows. Oh my gosh, the steak here. Oh, <laughs> bife de lomo. Oh my, oh, and boñatas. <laughs> so, what else, what else you want to What uh, else you need? What else you need? Vina. <laughs> uh, you have the, the, the as well. And, and, and then, you know, we need to, to educate. Our young generations, we need to plant the seed of entrepreneurship. And then we have a beautiful place to be, as you say. How is the educational scene down here? I mean, are kids graduating with $75,000 of debt like they do in the U.S.? Or can you go to school down here pretty cheaply? Kids listening to this podcast, they can think, I'm going to do a study abroad in South America. Well, in in Argentina in particular, uh, education is free to the university you can actually you know educate uh, do do your full career for free wow uh, so i think that's why we have so much talent and and that created like a lot of um, mobility of classes mm-hmm. so somebody in argentina can be born very poor and become a doctor a lawyer or whatever profession he chooses to be so that's a good thing. Maybe the implementation of that is very inefficient. Because I like everything over there. <laughs> <laughs> there are not enough Germans in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, centralization brings a lot of inefficiencies. Uh-huh. So, so that's uh, that's. But that's a good thing. I mean, I think education is key to change any any culture or any society. Well, education is the key to opportunity. Yeah. You know, whether it's a formal education or or an informal one where you're just learning and studying. Like I talked about on the panel here today, Bitcoin takes so many branches of knowledge, you kind of have to understand all of them. But if you got that and you're in Bitcoin, then you're now opened up to other opportunities. Like this is taking place on the last day of the second annual uh, Latin American Bitcoin conference. So it's December 7th, I think. And MadeSafe had done their IPO uh, almost a year ago at 2.1 cents U.S., and today they're trading at about six cents U.S. Mm-hmm. And they've also tripled in terms of Bitcoin, the amount of Bitcoin you would have bought your maid safe for. But, you know, using and understanding and, and protecting your maid safe coins is even a step above Bitcoin. And so we're seeing that 
you, you almost have to have this cumulative effect of knowledge. I mean, you have to understand all this stuff, and then you can get Bitcoin. And once you get Bitcoin, then you can do MadeSafeCoin. And there are just big returns happening all over the place. And who knows where MadeSafe uh, might end up going. It seems to be getting some speculative fever, and everybody loves to chase the rabbit, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it might really get some legs and run. Uh, we'll see by the time this podcast gets edited and published. But you hit on such an important key there that we have this opportunity to get education to get formal to get experience traveling all over the place to just see what's really going on and and not just let life happen to us but to really kind of design what we want out of our life well you took the words out of my mouth because i don't see changes in society coming from confronting governments or going through the actual political system i see the true change uh you know coming from building new structures that have a different organization, and those structures will come from these new disruptive technologies. So they will be structures built, you know, surrounding these new technologies. So that's part of the vision that pushed me. You were asking me why I devote so much time to, to Bitcoin in my non-for-profit activities. And the truth is, is that I decided to not to confront the actual system, but to help build a new system with different rules, uh, using technology, using, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit and the values I, I vote for, you know, nonviolence and, and other stuff yeah. that I respect. You know, the, it's very interesting because with the strangling of the Bitcoin industry in the U.S. and just the overall overhang of legacy institutions that's really crushing the next generation in terms of their earning power. Uh, I saw on CNN, they did a poll and, uh, or study or something, and, and people 34 years and younger are earning 20% less than they did 10 years ago. So, I mean, lifestyle is just getting crushed in the U.S., absolutely crushed. And we're seeing that filter through in terms of marriage rates and, and birth rates and stuff like that. And then I look at some of my Bitcoin entrepreneur friends, and they've just gotten up and moved. Like they've gone to Latin America, they've gone to Panama, they've gone to Colombia, they've gone to Chile, they've gone to Uruguay. And you know what they've done when they've left is the burden they were carrying now falls more squarely on my shoulders. So it's even heavier, which is even more incentive for me to just leave. And so it really makes me wonder, like, what is the future for the U.S.? Because People renouncing U.S. citizenship are at all-time highs. It used to be kind of a place of opportunity, and now people are paying thousands of dollars to get rid of their U.S. citizenship. It used to cost $100 to renounce your U.S. citizenship. Then they raised the fee to 450 Then they just raised it again to 2350 That doesn't have anything to do with your tax returns or anything. That's just for them to process the form. Mm-hmm. They charge you two thousand three hundred fifty bucks to get rid of this blue well, piece of paper. Of, of course, they are using that to create a negative incentive to to do so. I imagine, no? As if anything, it's just more of a warning sign that mm-hmm. hey, get out while you can. They might raise the cost to five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> like they like their slaves. Mm-hmm. You know, you're taxed on worldwide income regardless of where you live. Yeah. You could have never set foot ever in the United States and still be liable for U.S. income taxes mm-hmm. because one of your grandparents could have been a U.S. citizen somehow. They could have immigrated somewhere, had a child, 
and then that person could have gotten married and had you, and you're <laughs> going to be a U.S. person because your parent is a U.S. person because your grandparent was a U.S. citizen 70 years ago. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, just, it's really kind of absurd. And in that situation, even if you go to Uruguay to live, you, you still would have to pay taxes. You would still US. be liable for U.S. taxes. Yeah. And even worse, you wouldn't be able to get bank accounts in Uruguay because of FACTA. They're no longer taking U.S. Yeah. Uh, customers. So you can't pay your electricity bill. The albatross of U.S. citizenship is really getting pretty heavy. And yet South America offers you know, a lot of opportunity here on the other side of the coin. Absolutely. I think what you're mentioning is, for me, part of that old structure that I, I mean, for me, is part of the past. It's obsolete. We still have it. But in the meantime, I think the best we can do is build on the side, build something new, build something more fair with these new wonderful technologies we had in the last 20 years, which I think we are very fortunate to have. I mean, how many humans in history have seen not one or two revolutions, but multiple revolutions at once. I mean, we... Yeah, we, and we <laughs> just have so much change as yes. we move into this information age. What effect are you seeing as you build these communities throughout Latin America? You're focused out of Argentina, but you've obviously been up to Uruguay and Brazil, Colombia, Chile... Peru, Mexico, mm -hmm. like what effect are we seeing from kind of uniting all these communities? Well, the trust bonds that are being built are creating new businesses as well. So that's one part, the business thing. So businesses in Argentina started to do partnerships with business in Mexico. And that happened because of the last conference we made last year. And then Chilean companies started to talk to Peruvian companies and to Mexican companies. So we see that all these uh, bonding start generating business opportunities and a new business are being born. And then on the human level, also, I think we are creating like trust relationships that enable us to do something like w what we just did. I mean, we co-organize this Latin American Bitcoin uh, conference with the Brazilian Bitcoin Foundation. And of course, as we had experience and the knowledge, we put most of the effort, but at the end they were heavily involved. And the final feeling is that we made this together. So. Now we have like a trust bond that is very, very strong and we can build on top of that because at the, at the end, you know, you don't do business just with money, you do business, business with, with people. people. Yeah. So business and anything you can do because money is a reflection of, of human uh, work or energy in any form. So at the end, I think we are creating this human network that will enable us to do whatever things uh, we want to do in the region and, and then to overcome the challenges that are ahead of us. Well, on that note, thank you so much for getting all this organized. We've had uh, Diego Gutierrez from the Bitcoin Foundation in Argentina. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me, Trace. get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn.
Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. Yeah.